All right, I'm Dan, and welcome to the Stage Fright Podcast, where we talk about mental health while working in creative industries. Today on the show, I'm talking to an old bandmate of mine, Simon Short. I've realised that no one actually knows what they're doing. We talk about the industry. Music industry is fairly unregulated. There are things that people say to each other that would not be allowed in a normal workplace. I'm feeling guilty for little celebrations. And then I was like, hold on, stop and have a moment and enjoy the fact that you've joined a band that you really like. Me and Simon kind of got off on the wrong foot when we started working together. I used to get very nervous having these kinds of conversations. And the old over thinking chestnut if someone didn't reply to a mix that i'd done with this is amazing i'd sit there and go i've really screwed this up putting in boundaries for your new workflow if i send you something i need feedback within 48 hours otherwise i will lose interest in this and keeping up the momentum for work you have to find the motivation in yourself to do something where you're about to work with someone you don't want to work with and the theories behind where anxiety comes from it's also really normal to get anxious we've been programmed to do that we used to get chased by wild animals this is the stage fright podcast here's simon short i can see that simon is talking but i can't hear him there we go got it got it got you got you got you hey oh sm7 sm7 look at that mate it's a classic mate it's great it's a classic uh, uh is this recording yeah we're on there one two cool mate how are you where are you in the world i'm in seattle uh ah. in in my spare room um yeah i woke up 30 40 minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> well what time is it there uh 8 a.m on the dot oh you you get up early don't you yeah well i do but um we're doing rehearsals right now for some shows in the midwest this weekend yeah so we're doing chicago and this is really bad i can't remember the other place um <laughs> classic so yeah we're rehearsing into the evenings and then i get home and i'm wired from rehearsals so i don't get to sleep till late so yeah it's uh i feel awesome this yeah. morning but i've got my coffee so it's okay oh sweet have you got a better mug than me though and check this out what does that say i can't read it <laughs> it says daniel and it's got dinosaurs on it <laughs> well how are you supposed to beat that it's not really i know it's not really i fair. know yeah, it's an unfair it. advantage straight away Mm. but yeah but mate yeah um i can't remember the last time i saw you it's probably a lioness show i imagine i think it was uh, um, ali's barbecue yes that was it yeah that was it yeah that was fun when we played don't get got yeah that's it and and your wife was just incredible at it for some reason oh <laughs> uh, yeah she's very smart and learns yeah. things very fast yeah. Yeah. and uh yeah. is, is really good at making me look quite thick so yeah <laughs> As all wives should. Yes. But yeah, the, the first time I met you was, it was in a band rehearsal. And I always remember this because I remember we sent you the songs and you loaded them up in the wrong sample rate. So they were in a different key. <laughs> so you turn up to rehearsal and you're like, oh, is that the key we're playing it in? And we're like, yeah, that's, that's the key we sent you. And you were like, oh, I think I've done it in the wrong sample rate. <laughs> and I wasn't even a bassist. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's the other thing. So I turned up with a pedal board with like a tube screamer on it and like you oh, know mate, yeah. and uh I was like, How does this bass amp work? And I was really nervous. <laughs> and then you guys started playing the songs and I looked at your hand and I was like, That's uh that's a semitone <laughs> lower or higher than everything I've learned. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember which way round it is. And uh <laughs> But it it was great for a for a band that consisted of four producers 
well that it, kind of that, that kind of straight away that kind of like uh, mistake was hilarious yeah in a room full of strangers you can't laugh about it so i was like yeah. i'm really <laughs> yeah. sorry guys <laughs> no, it's, that was hilarious Yeah, so let's let, let's go back and let's say I'm here with Simon Short. <laughs> let's, we introduced the podcast. What are we like ten minutes in now? Um, so I thought yeah, we started like to explain what you do. Yeah, we had, yeah we, yeah we had started, but then I just realised I haven't actually introduced you yet. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm here with Simon Short. Um, so if you just like to explain what you do, yeah. So I'm a, a musician full time now. I have been a tour manager. I have worked for Focusrite for a number of years on their pro team. Um, I have been a tracking engineer. So uh, live tracking is where I kind of excelled in the UK. So artists like uh, Goldfrapp and the Royal Albert Hall, um, doing that for Rednet stuff. I was part of a project that did uh, the drum and bass DJ Goldie with the Heritage Orchestra, uh, stuff like that. Um, big projects that was back with Focusrite. And I have done a lot of touring as a musician. And that's kind of, I think that's where I am. And recently relocated to Seattle from London with my wife, Claire's job. Uh, so I kind of turned up here with no contacts and somehow ended up tour managing a band that I really liked already that I was listening to in the UK. And then, um, yeah, now I'm their guitarist, which is awesome that's awesome how did that come about did, did you think they were getting you into tour manage to get you to that point or did it just kind of naturally happen no i mean i knew that they were a bunch of musicians that like i really liked their music and i liked what i kind of had a perception of what their attitude was um so i just instagrammed the singer and said i've just moved to seattle uh i used to play in wonk unit in london you know, can I, can I buy you a coffee or something? And, uh, he was really funny about it. Uh, and then was like, yeah, um, let's do lunch or something. So I hung out and I just said, look, um, I just want to meet people and get involved. Can I just come and carry amps? Like whatever, you know, I don't know anyone here. So even just going to gigs and being around people that I can get introduced to would be amazing. And he was like, well, we need a tour manager for some upcoming dates. And uh, I just said, yeah, sure, um, I've toured enough. But in reality, Dan, you know, I'd been to two places in the US. <laughs> and my first, the first tour I did with the Drowns was, so they were like, cool, here's the advances, do all of this. And I was like, yeah, Rad, I, I'd done this in Europe. But this tour was a bunch of dates in California. Uh, then we go across to Arizona then we go across to Texas and do three dates in Texas, then up to Denver, uh, then from Denver <laughs> through Idaho and then back to Seattle uh, and Utah, sorry, Utah, then Idaho, then back to Seattle. And like I had to look at Google Maps every day to know what direction we were traveling in and be like, OK. And the other thing, Dan, is I'd never been. I mean, the longest drive I'd done was nine hours in Germany with Wonk Unit. And I was like, wow, a nine hour drive is a big one. These were like 18 hour drives. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, 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 I'm, you know, I'm, I'm great with this. I'm fine. And at the time, there were times where I would look out the window at the Arizona desert with tumbleweeds and I'd be like, 
where am I? I'm so zoned out right now. And I'm so far away from, I'm in a van full of people I've only just met. Uh, I got no phone signal. Um, it was very disorientating at times. It was really funny. And I was very open with the band about that. I was like, guys, like, I have no idea who I am or where I am right now. <laughs> who I am. <laughs> Ge- genuinely. It's like, I know my name is Simon, but apart from that, I'm pretty lost. Um, and yeah, it was really funny because uh, that was the best way to do it. Kind of just just a, a good US tour. I got to see so many places, meet so many people. And then when it came to like doing some UK shows or whatever, I was like, yeah, I'm so ready for this now. But yeah, it was it was great. It was I did so I did that for a year and uh they needed a new guitarist and we all got along so well. Like they're just one of the greatest bunch of guys in music. They're so funny and so caring and nice, but mostly just really funny. We're all really childish. They were just like, well, we know you can play guitar, so do you, do you want to be the guitarist? And I was like, yeah. So they invited, they said, can you come to an audition in two days time? And I was like, oh my God. And it was like an hour and 20 minutes of music to work and to, to learn in two days. And I was like, yep, yep, yep. I might not be amazing, uh, even though it's an audition. And they were like, it's fine. So I turned up to the audition, like, the, audi- the audition's 20 hour drive away. But no, the, <laughs> luckily the audition's a 10 minute walk down the road. <laughs> but right. um, I turned up and I'd learned all this music and they come in giggling with a giant cake covered in hearts saying, will you be our guitarist? Oh, amazing. And I was like, cool. I learned all of that. <laughs> in, it was an, That's hour, hilarious. an hour set in two days. And uh, they were like, yeah, like, <laughs> It's cool. We're going to practice anyway. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to that, co- the first coffee date, you said he got a bit funny about that. Do you know why that was? Was it no, was I a meant, bonk unit thing? I, I, I meant funny in a funny way, not in an English way. Oh, oh, right. It, yeah. It, okay. He was, he was like, uh, and he openly says it on stage as well. He's like, it's kind of weird getting a message from a stranger saying, do you want to hang out? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when, when you get older, getting a message, like becoming friends with someone is a bit like a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, like... yeah. No, it was really funny. It was, yeah, he was hilarious. Um, and then the drummer joined us as well for lunch and, uh, so the drummer of the Drowns has played in so many bands. So it was really fun meeting him because he's played in a bunch of very well-known punk bands over here. Uh, he's also drummed for Everclear, which is oh wow hilarious, yeah. And he's you know he's just one of the best guys. We've all become really good friends, me, Rev, and Andy, and and Jake. And it's kind of been a very easy, seamless transition into the band, um, which is really nice. Uh, but I also know that because I've done all the work on myself and because I, it's, it's not that I'm supremely confident. Like I said, I still get anxious. So this weekend is my first proper show playing for them. I played like a song on stage with them before as their tour manager is kind of a fun thing to do, but, um, it's sold out Chicago pre St. Patrick's day weekend with two Irish punk bands that are really big because Chicago goes wild for St. Patrick's Day. Um, right. And yeah, it's like, oh, cool. My first show with them is sold out mania. Uh, it better go well. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get imposter syndrome about it? 
I don't get imposter syndrome anymore because cool. I've realized that no one actually knows what they're doing. And if anyone disagrees yeah. with me, uh, that's also fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, no one knows. Uh, you can imagine living in Seattle. There's obviously the tech industry here is huge. Um, you've got Google's headquarters, Amazon headquarters, all that here. And I've met people in bars here who work in very important jobs and they're like, wow. Well, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're all, that, we're all that way. I think an important one is when you grow up and you start to realize you love music, it's really normal for you to watch, try and find musicians. I was in the VHS era and I grew up in the Middle East, so I didn't have the same access. But if we got hold of like, I remember uh, me and my brother got hold of the Family Values VHS and you watch it and as a, as a kid or as a teenager, you create an idea in your head of why you would love to do that, right? And the reality is, is you've created that idea. So then when it comes to actually doing it and it's inevitably different to what you, yeah. you created an idea about, you start to get either anxious or down about it or whatever, or imposter syndrome. Because you're like, I don't deserve to be here because this doesn't feel how I thought it should feel. You know, the, the classic one is when people do interviews about playing live huge shows and they go, oh, I was going through a really hard time when that happened. That is what we need more of. And that's what we need to tell younger generations of musicians more of is that you probably aren't going to feel amazing when you're on that big stage, you're probably going to be going, why hasn't the monitor engineer turned my guitar up? Or I can't hear the kick drum. This is a nightmare. Yeah. Or did I have too many beers? Cause suddenly I'm feeling a bit wobbly. And it's like, yeah. these, these are the realities. Um, but what you see as an audience member who wants to be a musician is like, they must be having even more fun than I'm having right now watching them. And that's yeah. not really the and truth. And the thing is, when you watch those, oh, like I remember it was a, the Urethra Chronicles, the Blink-182 ones, right? Yeah. And I remember watching those and going, oh, that must be an amazing job because me watching Tom DeLonge do that is giving me this amazing feeling. I want to be able to give that feeling to other people. Yep. But of course, if I ever got to that Tom DeLonge situation, it wouldn't be anything like that. It's not like he feels like that the whole time. He's going through shit at home. He's going through, you know, horrible bits in his personal life as well. But on this screen, he's like, yeah, man, it's the best job in the world. Well, <laughs> well, moving here, you're exactly right. We were in California and I was like, oh, can we go, can we pass by through Blink-182's neighborhood? Because I saw it in the Aretha Chronicles and it looks really nice. And they were yeah. like, it's really rough. <laughs> and I was like, what? And they're like, we're not going. Uh, it wasn't anyone in the drowns. It was some locals in this Californian area. And they were just like, yeah, no, we don't go near that neighborhood. And I was like, <laughs> but growing up, I thought that was like the skateboard neighborhood of dreams. And they yeah. were like, nope. Shattered, shattered dreams. They were like, that. yeah, no, they're from a, a legit Californian neighborhood. <laughs> and I might be wrong. Oh, they man. might be wrong. But I remember I was like. Yeah, why in my head did I invent the idea that they live in paradise? Like, yeah. they're, they're musicians, yeah. do you know what I mean? They live just like all of us in probably a very normal place. Yeah. And, and I've had that experience with the Drowns coming to London. So London was what they were most looking forward to playing on this last string of UK dates. And uh, we played New Cross 
and we were in Newcross for the day. And they were like, we didn't expect London to look like this. <laughs> Grey and, like, and rainy and shitty. <laughs> I was Well, they were like, we thought we'd be able to go to like Camden and whatever. And there just wasn't any time. Because the reality is, is London's huge. And between soundcheck and show, you can't just waltz up to Camden from Newcross. And like, <laughs> yeah. and they're all intelligent guys. But like, I could also see how I had done that in the US. Well, I turned up to the US and been like, oh, this must be this way. And it isn't because it's normal and normal people live that existence. And yeah. uh, it's, it goes back to that expectation versus reality that can create imposter syndrome. It can create anxiety because you're like, why is my life as a musician not this way? Do you know what I mean? Yes. And like, uh, it's, it's just a really interesting one because no matter how many times you hear it, you hear people saying, well... I thought it would be different when I broke it into music on in a big scale. And you go, well, you know, that's just you being ungrateful, but it's not. It's just, no. it's, it's, it's exactly what it is. And it's really interesting. I actually heard a, a podcast the other day about a, a footballer or it was a rugby player. It was some sort of athlete. Let's say it was a footballer and he'd won a huge cup. Let's say he won the World Cup, right? And the interviewer said to him, oh, what's it like winning the World Cup? And he said... You know that feeling when you're a 15 year old boy and you've won your first football game, and you went, "Yeah," and you went, "It's exactly like that." <laughs> it yeah. is, it, that it, that feeling. It's not like that feeling's amplified. It's the exact same feeling. Yeah, and I was like, "Ah, oh, that makes me feel better." <laughs> yeah, and also like you can choose to celebrate, and that's something that I uh, I had to learn as well. Is like I always felt like a celebration had to be given to me, otherwise I'm being a bit bit arrogant or a bit full of myself but yeah. like it's like when i got asked to join the drowns i was like amazing i get to be in this signed band this is rad um and i love the band's music and i love them as friends but at the same time my brain went you're going to be on tour all year and you need to learn a lot of stuff and you need to pull your weight you need to buy some new clothes so that you fit the band's image and you need to get your guitar rig fixed ASAP. And you need to do this and this and this. And then I was like, hold on, hold the phone, stop and have a moment and enjoy the fact that you've joined a band that you really like, you know? Yeah, and celebrate that. Was that your um, therapy coming into play there? Yeah, absolutely. There were a bunch of things where I'd say to my therapist, like, um, it sucks that I'm this way. And she'd be like, why? Why is that bad thing? Why is it a bad thing that you care or why is it a bad thing that people call you sensitive? And I was like, I don't know. I've decided that that's bad. And she's like, well, you can decide it's good. And you can. So, like, it's really hard. And it takes, like I said, it doesn't stop the feelings from going away. But I can also go, well, who cares? Like, and no one does. You know, everyone's worried about themselves. So yeah, you can you can choose to celebrate. You can choose to go, you know what? I have decided that they feel a certain way about how I've behaved. And that's, for some reason, I've decided that that's what they think and feel. And it probably isn't. And if it is, mm. also, who cares? Like, you can't hang yourself up on that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, like I said, I'm very unapologetically me now. Whereas before, I'd, I'd managed to get by on... Just, um, I guess it's, I don't want to say it's people pleasing because as a musician, you have to do that. That's your, that's your job in life. Um, God, I'm getting very philosophical, Dan. 
uh, <laughs> eight, eight in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's and I'm, good. I'm talking about therapy and philosophy. I am not a qualified therapist <laughs> and I am not a philosopher. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where I'd, because I judged everyone's reactions and I was so sensitive to that as a gauge on how well I was doing, even mixes, if someone didn't reply to a mix that I'd done with, this is amazing. If they replied with, hmm, can we do this? I'd sit there and go, I've really screwed this up. Yep. And it's like... 100% I've had that. And in reality, they've listened to it on a bus for five seconds <laughs> and gone, yeah. oh, this is rad. Can we just do this? And then it'll be perfect. That's the reality. And in my head, it's yeah. like, they've sat there and gone, why am I working with Simon? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. And that's not true. It's just not true. And it's whatever, for whatever reason, your brain has created this idea to defend yourself and to protect you from further mental drama. But mm. in reality, it's just like, and, and what's also weird is it creates a feedback loop, Dan. So if you send them an anxious reply going like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, this has missed the mark. Then they're like, oh, has it? And then it creates yeah. more of a feedback loop. Whereas these days, if someone says, oh, you know, Simon, guitar's a bit loud. I reply, well, I don't really care, but I'll turn it down for you. And they start <laughs> laughing and they're like, okay, cool. You know, and you immediately put everyone at ease. Last night in rehearsal, Dan, there's a break where I play a rhythm part and it's just me and hi-hat. And I came in, I practiced the song a thousand times and I came in one beat after the hi-hat. So it was just an absolute mess. And I was just standing there crying, laughing. Just like, <laughs> I can't. I was having to look away from everyone in the room. So I stood in the corner like a naughty boy playing this out-of-time riff. And the rest of the band picked it up. But I know that if I stood there panicking and worrying, everyone else would panic and worry. Yeah. And be like, what's up with Simon? Is he okay? Yeah. Whereas old me would have definitely panicked. And then apologized afterwards and being like, guys, I'm really sorry. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Parkinson Music for advert free, higher quality and early access to the Stage Fright podcast. I spent a good deal of lockdown and a couple of months moving here, obviously, because then you're in a completely new situation um, of having the confidence to know I needed a bit of help. Yeah. And getting that help was like, the best thing I could have ever done for myself as a musician. Yeah, there's a huge stigma of people not wanting to talk. There's a huge stigma about, especially among males in this industry, I find that no one is willing to let go and say, actually, I'm feeling pretty shitty lately because of X, Y, and Z. It's almost like they're, they're embarrassed to kind of say that. Do you think that goes back to when you're watching these videos of Blink-182, they don't seem to have these problems. So you kind of want to be represented like you saw Tom DeLonge in those videos, you know? So, sort of. I mean, they did write some really sad songs as well, um, where it's like, yeah, Adam's song, he's not okay when he wrote that. Um, yeah. But I think there's a few things there that you've kind of touched upon. Um, for me, it was my reactions. So, like, if someone looked at me a funny way, I'd be like, well, no one would look at Blink-182 that way. <laughs> yeah. Which is also not true. Yeah. Another thing is like <laughs> the the music industry still is fairly unregulated. There are things that people say to each other that would not be allowed in a normal workplace because that would be considered just unethical, right? 
So we do work in an unethical industry that is old fashioned and unregulated and combine that with, you know, if you look at, I still get a little bit triggered by the words mental health. And the reason is, is that health usually, especially as you get older, is a bad word because it's like you're only talking about what's wrong with your health, not mm. that you're healthy. Um, That's true. Maybe we should call it mental healthy. But um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the other thing is obviously the history of the word mental in the UK. That's a bad mm. word. Uh, if you refer to someone as mental, it's, which is unacceptable, but it's been used for a long time. Um, so at the second you hear the M word, it's like, oh, there's something wrong with him. And that, yeah. And in reality, what it is, is that you're just a human being and there's nothing wrong with you, but you're acknowledging that you have room to improve, right? Mm. And every human being on planet Earth, whether you're a top athlete, where, whether you're a top musician, whether you're a multimillionaire, has room to improve somewhere. And like, instead of this idea that there must be something wrong with you, it's like, oh, no, they're trying to improve themselves. It's the equivalent yeah. of someone going, well, I could, I could go running more than once a week. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. I think, I think that's changing. It's definitely changing. And I'm so lucky I'm in a band that are all supporters of that. And very, I see it as a very manly thing. If you can talk about it comfortably, I think it's a very adulty thing. I don't want to use the word manly. Actually, I regret that. Um, I would say <laughs> yeah. a, a very adult thing to do to acknowledge that you have room to improve and that you're not a perfect person. And if you're reacting badly to something someone says or does, or in a way that you don't like, it might not be purely down to them. It might also be down to you. Yeah, um, 100%. I was going to say, like, for, for someone that's eight in the morning, you look remarkably good. It's like, I, honestly, <laughs> doing the heavy amounts of touring that I've done, it's just like you go to sleep and look up the same and get back in the van. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. It was the same with just recording this uh, new album. Uh, we just finished an album and we yeah. recorded down in LA with a really great producer. Here's a Grammy. His name's Ted Hutt. Um, so he produces like Dropkick Murphys. Uh, he used to be in wow. Fogging Molly and all of that. Him and an engineer, we were in this great studio but I learned fast uh, how that works on that level. So we would get there for sort of 10.30 in the morning. Um, he'd already be there editing, chilling. And we would leave at about 11 p.m. at night. And he'd be yeah. like, yeah, I'm just going to stay and fix some bits. <laughs> and I'd be like, we, are, we, we were running 12 to 13 hour days. And uh, it was amazing and it was such a good experience, but it also just made me a lot tougher at just waking up out because you'd get home, you'd you'd have eaten at the studio, so you just order in the studio, you don't leave, or you go for a coffee or something very quickly. Um, so you get home, you have a quick shower, you fall asleep, and you wake up and you go straight back to the studio. And it was a month of that. Um, I say a month. The band were there for a month. I was there for about two weeks. But... Uh, <laughs> At the same time. Yeah, it's funny, these little things that you still get to learn, which is so cool when it comes to just how different people work and 
how you get to a certain standard doing things and whatever so i'm very like it's a bit of a it's a bit of an eye-opener for yourself isn't it it's kind of one of the reasons i started this podcast was to kind of get me doing more stuff you know otherwise i'd just sit and play call of duty in an evening and it's like well yeah. actually it's gonna take me two hours to record a podcast i could actually sit and edit it in the evening you know it's not a thing it just keeps me kind of keeps me going yeah no one's gonna hire me because i've got a sweet call of duty score you know well <laughs> you know this is I mean? it yeah i mean i um i do a podcast with uh yeah, a friend jack um tattoo history podcast What's it called? uh tattoo, yeah, tattoo traditions history. sorry tattoo traditions podcast um cool what I find really fun is that Jack is interviewing people in their late 70s, sometimes early 80s. So these are people that won't use Zoom. They won't use. Yeah. And and Jack is also a tattoo artist. He's not a technological person yeah. on, on the level of being a recording engineer, right? So I often will design him a little system where he can use his Zoom recorder with a bunch of different aux cables connected to his phone and he can just phone someone's analog phone and record an entire podcast wow, but, on the phone. But what that means is that it gets my brain thinking, right? It's like, how do I design a solution for someone that doesn't need to be an engineer to use it and also doesn't need to invest in a bunch of stuff because for him to spend thousands on something that could be only one way of interviewing one person is a waste of money. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's really, like you said, it's really good to do different things and just continually learn and challenge yourself and, yeah, you know, throw yourself in the deep end. Again, on that note as well, I've started doing a stand-up comedy course. Amazing. Just for something else to do, you know, just for, just to get into the psychology of that. Because I've always loved stand-up comedy and... um I've always said to like my friends and family, if I ever do it, I won't tell anyone. I'll just go and do it yeah. and then kind of build up. You know, for a year, I just won't tell anyone I'm doing gigs and I'll just go out and do it and then come back and, oh, what did you do last night? Oh, nothing, just played Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, for the little I know about stand-up comedy, if you ever want to test your confidence or this yeah. being called a stage fry <laughs> podcast, if you ever want to test that, go try and make some people laugh in a silent yeah. small room like... I'm just going to yeah. quickly make sure that, yeah, that's still recording. Yeah, that, that would be a brilliant thing to do for your confidence. I mean, it'll either make you or destroy you. So um. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 100%. And I'm prepared for that. The thing is with, with stand-up comedy, it is you and a microphone. That's it. It's yeah. not like I've got a guitar to hide behind or a band to hide behind. It's like, right. And people are there to go, all right then make me laugh yep. whereas if someone doesn't like a song they normally just shut up about it and go to the bar or whatever but if you don't make someone laugh at a stand-up comedy gig they'll let you know <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and you it's it's all eye contact whereas a musician yeah if you're put off by the way someone's looking at you you can look at your instrument yeah as a stand-up yep. comic you cannot look at your shoes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like oh yeah. what's that is that speck on my shoes All right, I'm just going to take a quick break from the show to tell you about my Patreon, where for the price of half a coffee a month, you will get early ad-free versions of the podcast in a higher quality, as well as a load of behind-the-scenes photos and audio that I've been told to say are NSFW, which I don't know what it means, but people have it on their OnlyFans account. Apparently, I, I, I don't know, I've been, I've been told that. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Dan Parkinson Music. 
You can also get the app on your phone so you can listen to my voice wherever you may be. My Patreon has a pay-what-you-can scheme where all tiers are the same. The aim of this is to have more Patreons paying the smaller fee a month and not pricing people out, which in turn will pay for the show and help it run and run until the end of time. (laughs) Anyway, let's get back to the show. Going back to mental healthy. Yes. Has that ever stopped you doing your job? You say you're going through an episode and you wake up one morning, whatever whatever the situation is, what does that day typically look like for you? So it has affected not my job, but Mm -hmm. when I went freelance, you then have this choice, right? And sometimes that's not necessarily because there's any kind of episode of anxiety or feeling depressed. It's when you have that choice, you have to find the motivation in yourself to do something where you're about to work with someone you don't want to work with. And you're like, could I be spending my time more effectively on something else that would improve my career some way rather than doing mixes for something I don't enjoy and getting notes that I don't like? And that's also a wrong way to look at it. And I used to do that when I was out in the UK, especially during lockdown. Because lockdown had an impact on most people mm-hmm. and uh, it made me kind of not nihilistic, but I was kind of just like, well, what's the point? <laughs> what's what's the point in doing yeah. this mix for this artist when I don't like the music and they don't like my mix? And that was, yes. that was where my head was at. And you feel like it's your fault that all that perfect storm has come together. You feel like in that moment, and I mean you as in one, feels like it's your fault that that situation's happened. Sort of, or that like uh, the next step, which is just being depressed, is uh, saying, well, like, what's the point? Like, mm. does it, take me out of the equation. This is all pointless anyway. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, um, and that's a, that's also a bad place to be. But um, I think- lockdown, Has it ever got that bad for you? Um, I won't lie. I think that way. I think a lot of people think that way. But the important part is that you climb out of it very quickly. Yeah. So like you can say like, I mean, people do it on a very surface level. You're walking home and you drop all your shopping or something and you're like, oh, you know, you start swearing and you're just like, why is everything going wrong today? It's a very yeah. similar thing where it's just like the whole world is rubbish. Um, there's nothing I enjoy out of this. But that's a very brief moment, right? And I think it's just really important to acknowledge that, you know, you don't stay there. Um, because mo- yes. I think most people hit that, but they stumble over it so quickly that they forget that it ever happened because, you know, life is great and there's so much to get out of it. But like, I don't really want to talk on de- on depression too much because it's something I don't, I don't have, you know, I think I've okay. felt feelings of that. And I think I've felt really down about things, but it's not quite the same thing. Whereas when you're in lockdown, you have no idea when the world's opening back up again. You're working with everyone remotely over email. I actually would go as far as defending myself and saying that's a perfectly logical reaction to that situation where you're doing, you're doing, you're choosing to do work you don't want to do during uh, a global pandemic. Yeah. Of course, you're going to feel that way. And that's an example of, of the work I've done kicking in where like, it's not that I'm saying that that's a good way to be but it's also validating that feeling and like validating to make it relevant to this podcast, like validating imposter syndrome, 
of course you're going to feel that way because you grew up thinking it's going to be a certain way and that you're going to know when you're good enough. Um, and the reality is you don't. So it's imposter syndrome is very, very normal. Like it's a really normal thing. And it's also really normal to get anxious because we've been programmed to do that. We used to get chased by wild animals, you know, um, anxiety that you know that something was wrong. And these days, a lot of us aren't faced with that real danger. So our brain is still just doing its job. It's doing its job yeah. in situations that it doesn't really need to do. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It means it's actually working quite healthily that you're, if you think about it, you're, who invented the idea that you're not supposed to be nervous playing in front of thousands of people? Who invented that yeah. idea? I don't know because like, I would say you'd be more on the psychopathic scale if you got on stage and said, these 50,000 people don't even know how good I am. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's, that's far yeah. less human than uh, to go on stage and go, God, there's a lot of people here who've paid to see me. Yeah. Oh, I hope this goes well because, you know, I would say that's far more human then, uh, but no one talks about it because rock star yeah. egos and all this stuff. And if you like to be very frank and unspiteful, if we just look at this logically, a lot of huge rock stars in our industry that when I say huge, I mean, the stadium guys have had some form of, of publicly known substance abuse problems or alcohol problems. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, in the public eye, everyone's like, look at their swagger on stage. Look at how awesome they're doing. See, they don't get nervous. And it's like, if they're not nervous, what's all the other stuff in the background? Or if they yeah. don't have imposter syndrome, or if they're not depressed, or if they're not feeling a certain way, you know, but in reality, the pressure on them to be a rock star is humongous. Yeah. And we're all yeah. normal human beings. Like at the end of the day, um, we've all grown up a bit differently, but a lot of our feelings are the same. So whatever makes you anxious or sad is still the feeling of being anxious or sad. Regard, you know, yeah. when someone says you've never walked in my shoes, that's very true. But also we've definitely had the same feelings. So mm -hmm. like, and whether that's, you know, it was like um, Tchaikovsky was supposed to be hypersensitive. And I remember there was a review on him and it's like, who knows, this really sad symphony might have been about him dropping his ice cream. And it's like, mm. well, yeah, but he still feels really sad about the, it. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like the feelings are the same. Yeah. So I don't know. He who, hasn't released anything for ages, so you're yeah, probably all right now. <laughs> lazy. Yeah. No, <laughs> he's he, um, lazy. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. But it's, it's this thing, right, of like, there's all these expectations that we've created about music and musicians and and how things should be and whatever. And it's all, you know, we don't have those expectations about office jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not and, at all. And I'm not going to lie. The only thing I've seen about office jobs is that they're hell on earth and that they're depressing. That's what movies and series do. Yeah. And I've had loads of fun working in office jobs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, it's just a shame that it's not the opposite way in music of like... You know, oh, this is going to be this really anxious job because then you turn up and go, it's not that bad. Whereas what we do is say, oh, it's amazing and your life's going to be better forever. And this is the missing thing in your life is being a famous yeah. musician or this is what you're born to do or designed to do rather than this is something I really enjoy and maybe I can make a living out of it. I don't know. It's uh, 
this is my 8 a.m. coffee ramble. <laughs> but I think it's stuff that no one really acknowledges. And all I'm trying to do is normalize talking about it because it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It's kind of the opposite. It means that you're very aware of who you yeah, are. Yeah, you're very you normal because feel. everyone feels the same. And that's the idea of the podcast, just to get more people realizing, oh, okay, well, I feel like that. And he feels like that. And these four episodes before it, they all feel like that as well. Maybe I am quite normal. Yes, that's what we're saying. Yeah. And whenever I have met someone on a, I don't know what the right term is, that some people would call like an A-list, A-list celebrity of any kind. Whenever I've done that, been lucky enough to do that through work, I always really get on with them talking about normal things, like where the best place to go for lunch is or how dangerous the highway was getting there or whatever i said highway i'm an american now yeah Um, (laughs) yeah and it's uh it's it's one of those things where that's that's the truth of the situation and we just don't i think what you're doing is great because we do just need to hear people from different sides of the industry different levels all talk about Mm. the same thing which is like yeah it's uh it's nerve-wracking it's scary it's exhausting a lot of people don't talk about that when like I was younger, I remember, I think it was Eminem canceled a tour for exhaustion. And I remember being at school and a few friends were like, oh yeah, wow. Cause like staying in five-star hotels must be so tiring. Yeah. And it's like, dude, he's probably in them for about two hours a night. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And yeah, he's traveling the rest of the time. And, is... and doing interviews before the show and having yeah, no the time. mental pressure of it. Yeah, and it's, it's just exhausting because you go from anxiety to huge amounts of adrenaline, then the come down after playing a show, which no one ever talks about. But like no. you get back home and your ears are ringing and you just sit there watching TV and you're like, well, that was quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... I mean, post-tour blues is a massive issue in itself. You go on tour for even two weeks and you come back and you feel like you're missing something out of your life and you just want to go back on tour again. But yeah, coming back from a gig, a lot of people think you can just get back from the show. Cool, I'll go to sleep now. Uh No, (laughs) you can't just go to sleep. You need to unwind, you know, just chill out. (laughs) Yeah, high adrenaline situation. Like you don't just smile and put your face on the pillow and like... (laughs) Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, just ah, just, ah mm, job well just, done. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, yeah, it's like no, you have. I had adrenaline after band practice last night because you concentrate yeah. that hard for an hour in a high pressure situation, and then you get home and you're like, oh, I know I'm really tired, but I also don't know what to do mm. because you know your brain has once again done a great job <laughs> at defending you. <laughs> yeah, um, and now it's like, uh oh uh that's over um but maybe you still need to be on your guard in case that lion comes back i'm so glad you put it in that context actually because that's a really nice way for people to think about anxiety like that it actually dates back to that being hunted that's why we're hardwired to think like this it's what's been discussed a lot uh in the last well it's probably been discussed for a long time but i've seen more of it in the last sort of decade is that technologically us as humans, we've advanced very quickly. And it's the curve of that, of iPhones, of having a thousand Facebook friends, of all of that is so much faster than the evolution of our brain. 
so much mm. faster. So we're actually living in a technologically advanced world with old technology in our heads. Yeah, that's true. And our old technology is not always compatible with the modern situation. Yeah. It's like, you know, you download that new OS and your Pro Tools is like, what are you doing? <laughs> and your yeah. Pro Tools has a fit and says, I can't yeah. deal with this right now. That's what your brain is doing, where it's like, what? What's yeah. happening? Um, and it's actually just doing its job going, I need to protect said human from imminent danger. So here's another fun example that I learned is have you ever had an argument and you walk away from that argument and an hour later you think, why didn't I say this? Yeah. Why did I not say that to them? So apparently the origin of that is you get attacked by a wolf, you survive and you go, next time I really need to do this when that wolf comes back so that so that I stop that wolf. That is your brain coming up with oh, new wow. ways of protecting you from that situation. Whereas in today's world, we're never going to face that argument again. It was a one-off situation. Yeah. But in old times, you would face that same problem again and again. And your brain's trying to learn the right information so that you remember what to do next time. But the likelihood yeah. of you having that same argument is so much lower than the old wolf coming back to your village. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's also an interesting example of... It's a theory, but like it's very plausible theory that that's why we have anxiety and that's why we get anxious and that's why we get angry and stressed. And it's all defense mechanisms that are no longer that useful. But yeah, you're that's relevant to us now. But having them means that you're actually very normal and that you're yeah. normal. You're just not normal in this ex expectation we've created, you know? Yeah. I guess. 100%. Yeah, it's, and that's, like I said, like, I still get really anxious. I get anxious about loads of things. Um, tour managing is a highly anxious thing to do for a year, uh, especially in a brand new country. But then acknowledging that that's how I'm actually supposed to be. Like, if I wasn't, there'd be something far more worrying if <laughs> I was, like, completely fine and happy and slept really well every night. It would mean that my brain is not functioning properly. Yeah, you know? I so. remember saying to my to my dad once. He um, at a gig, he said, "Are you nervous?" And I went, "Yeah, I am actually." And he went, "Good. It means you still care about it." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's nice. That's a really good way of thinking about it. If you get nervous about it, it means you still care." Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I just did a. Um, I was at my brother's wedding a few weeks ago, and I had to make a speech. And uh, two days before it, someone came up to me and said, are you, are you nervous about your speech? And I said, no, uh, I'm, I'm used to performing in front of lots of people. And they were like, but this is a bit different because it's just like a silent room full of people. And I was like, why do you have to go say that, man? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then for the next three days, everyone was like, are you going to be okay for your speech? And I was like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I was completely fine. And now I'm not sure... <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I had the same thing when I went on um, ITV. I went on this morning yep. doing a dance TV jam thing. And it was it was a very quick turnaround. So they got in contact with me on the Tuesday. And then I think I was on the show on the Thursday. So Tuesday and Wednesday, I was totally fine. And then my mate texted me going, oh, are you nervous about tomorrow? Talking in front of two and a half million people. And I was like, oh, shit, it is quite a big show, isn't it? And, I, and that was it. And I was just nervous from then and, until I went on air. And then I was totally fine. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's all that it, bit in between. I was like, why did you have to say that? Like, it's just, it's so funny. Totally yeah. Normal. The the aggressive part in me wants to just get my own back and you know phone those people before going to work and go, "Are you nervous?" And they'll be like, "About what?" 
be like, well, you're driving to work. It's actually a very dangerous thing to do. Someone might crash into you and kill you. you, That's the side of me that I'm still working on. But it's like, I just want to phone them up and go, yeah, I just want to phone these people and go, ooh, are you nervous about, you know, I heard you're going to McDonald's. You might get food poisoning. Yeah. Are you not nervous about eating that Big Mac? And no one does that in anything else except if you're a musician or you're about to perform and everyone goes, are you going to be all right? And it's like, I was. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And now, now my brain has been alerted that there is a threat that I didn't know existed. So it's going to work even harder to try and make me anxious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for that. Ash. Because, yeah, anxiety (laughs) is that. Yeah. What's really weird, though, is, is anxiety is that fight or flight, right? And it's giving you the energy to do that. And like, it's the weirdest thing because when the incident actually happens, your anxiety disappears very quickly. The second yes. you stop, the second you focus on what you're doing, it goes away. So it's just this really weird thing because anxiety makes you play worse. It makes you say things that I'm probably going to listen back to this or as soon as we get off and go, oh my God, I'm going to get canceled. What have I said? <laughs> I have said something very bad because I'm relaxed and I'm, you know, but yeah. in reality, being anxious doesn't help anyone or anything. Like, nah. But we still get it nah. and it's still important we still get that it. we get yeah. it. It's, yeah. It, and everyone gets it. It's not immune. It's not, you know, no one's immune to it. That's the, no. And if, if you don't, something is kind of up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, if, if, yeah. you, if you're on stage playing to thousands of people and you're not a little bit anxious beforehand or at the thought of it, or when you get on stage, some un, unless you've done it a million times, and in that case you're bored of it. I remember I saw an interview with Ozzy Osbourne, and he said, "I still get really scared of walking on that stage, and and no one is going to have showed up." Wow! And the interview is like, "You're the lead singer of Black Sabbath," and he's like. <laughs> I still get terrified that I'm going to turn, I'm going to walk on stage and say, what's up, whichever country, and no one's going to be there. Are we kind of almost scared of people not being there? That's what I'm trying to say. Is it almost like we're almost more scared that no one's going to be there? So what we're doing is ultimately pointless. Yeah. Or <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We... Let's go a step deeper or that we're pointless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a human race. <laughs> well, as just as a person, there's like, you know, I remember having this discussion uh, with someone before where there was a show and something had gone wrong and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, let's all take a step back and focus. None of us are surgeons right now. And everyone was like, way to make me feel bad, Simon. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, whoops. Uh, we're all panicking about whether or not sound is coming out of speakers. This is not important at all in life. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. This isn't and it does help people on an emotional level and music is so important but like you can have those moments where like like I said like if if no one turns up or if the very small uh case of my bass being out of tune it's like well what's the point in me even trying to play bass or practicing or buying this guitar if I can't even play it in tune on stage. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's that's where my brain used to go. And nowadays it's yeah. like, well, that is actually life and it's pretty funny. <laughs> like it's all it's all a bit funny, really. Yeah. And all you can do is try your very best. And 
Another thing I've learned is find a way of working with people that's enjoyable. 100%. Before I used to think that if if there was a problem, if the musicians I was working with were accomplished and I wasn't gelling, it was because I wasn't doing the right things. And mm. that's not true. It's just not true. It just no, means you're you're not clicking with that group of people. And it's a bummer if they're really good. There's that side of it. And there's also parameters. It's something I'd never set before or boundaries as some people like to call them. So nowadays, if I work with anyone producing or anything like that, or musically or writing, before we do anything, I say, this is how I work. And if I send you something, I need feedback within 48 hours. Otherwise, I will lose interest in this. Yes, um, of course. Yeah. And if that's going to be a problem because you're busy on another project, that's completely fine. But it just means that we're not going to really click. Um, yeah. And I need good feedback. I don't need, you know, negative comparisons or whatever. And setting those boundaries is really important as a musician where it's like, if this is going to work, I need this, this, and this. And it's not a problem if it doesn't, because everyone works differently. And I think people will be more understanding as well. If you say, I work like this, X, Y, and Z. If you work like this, one, two, and three, yeah, then we're not going to work. Then let's just, let's just leave it. We'll go and do our separate ways. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a much more healthy way of just than prolonging a whole project that is kind of ending up going nowhere mm -hmm. just because you don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. Well, you're not hurting the other person's feelings. No, you're actually saving everyone a lot of time. Yeah. But it, it took me a long time to figure out how to do that because there's different, there's different ways of approaching that. You know, I know people in the industry who's like, oh, I was really excited to work with this engineer or this producer. And then they turned out to just be like awful to work with. And it's like, well awful to you but that's their process and that's how they create so it's like yeah it's a it's a real downer of a situation but also better sooner than later um to get halfway through you know weeks of working on something and then be like this just isn't clicking it's like if you define parameters of who you are and what you like quickly you know i did that joining the drowns i said you know uh We'd already known each other really well from tour managing anyway. But even during tour managing, I was defining boundaries and parameters the entire time. And luckily, all of that clicked because they had the same boundaries and parameters. And that's why this is working. And that's why it's really fun. But if it hadn't, then there would have just been a really like straight up obvious conversation. Um, yeah. And luckily, there has been those conversations where it's like, okay, this wasn't cool um how do we did, did does it need to happen again and everyone goes well and it, it might not be me saying that it might be rev or it might be jake and it all comes from a place of love and understanding and it's like okay yeah let's not do that again that's not yeah. a good thing to do and it's completely fine but when you bottle it up you then start to resent the person for not guessing how you feel and it all starts to unravel. And I see that with bands all the time. That could have easily happened between me and you. Like if we didn't yeah. like actually end up get together and chatting about stuff, like, you know, that could have easily and been it took us a problem with us. About a year to get there anyway. You know, because yeah. I didn't know how to define boundaries or parameters on how I work and who I am. Yeah. There are so many things now where it's like I accept that that's just how my brain is. Um and I'm improving it all the time, but it doesn't improve if X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. That, and that's just a reality. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Parkinson Music. 
there's been some great advocates of mental health recently and it's definitely picking up and even in in sports it was really important to me that um i've always loved sports it was really important to me that tyson fury heavyweight boxing champion of the world went on a podcast and openly talked about how depressed he was and when he finally went to see someone he was on the you know the code red of depression um as he called it and he was he was in a dreadful place and he came back after being away from boxing for years, being very overweight, having a drug problem, got clean and became heavyweight champion again. And he's a huge advocate for it. And he openly talks about how low things got and how difficult things got and repeatedly says, you know, get help because you can be helped and everything can work out. And it's not easy and it never goes away, but also you can have a really good life. Unlike, I think it's so important because... That's still, you know, we're still climbing that curve. Um, Seattle's an incredibly progressive place. So I'm very lucky to be here and musicians here are so progressive and so open to all of that. But I still see it with friends, bands that I talk to. How is it touring with this? And they're still, you know, touring is isolating. It's a really isolating thing to do. And when you're dealing with a lot of what I would call old fashioned problems, it makes it so much harder and so much more unenjoyable and it just builds this unhealthy relationship with touring and with playing and all of that stuff and it's hard enough as it is so like yeah just talking about it talking about it is so important and if it makes you upset that means you need to talk about it a bit more yeah Whereas that means it's working a, a lot of people when they talk about stuff and it starts to on a on a real level we're just going to talk real if it if it starts to make them get teary-eyed, they shy away from it because they're like, well, I can't do that. I can't I can't show that. emotion because it'll go back to, I might be hunted and I'll show weakness. I, so. Yeah, I can't do the C word. That is negative. Cry. See <laughs> 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 um, what I did there. Yeah, uh, you, can't, you, you can't cry. You can't do these things. But in reality, if something makes you cry, you have to address that. Yeah. And yeah, 100%, we've, yeah. we've been trained not to address that. But the way to address it is to not do it. And for a long time, even up until 40 years ago, it was very important societally that you didn't do that. But if you yeah, can stiff find... Stiff up a lip, all that. Yeah, if you can find a place to do that with someone who understands or a therapist or whatever, you suddenly then find yourself doing it an awful lot less because you've, uh, you've addressed the problem. And that's how you address that. And there's a lot of things like that. Like um, if you're scared of something, people try and make you do it more and more. Sometimes that mm-hmm. works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> like it's all relative. Sometimes it makes yeah. you way worse. Um, people just need to talk about more and be more comfortable with. Like I used to get very nervous having these kinds of conversations. And I honestly, three years, I would be mortified thinking that I would openly have this chat with you that would then be on the internet for anyone to hear. I would be like, what yeah. is, what are family members going to think? What are yeah. blah, blah, blah going to think? Or th- they're going to think that I'm this absolute, I don't know, whatever they want. Nowadays, I really don't care. <laughs> yeah. I really. And, and, and not that you don't care in like, you don't care what they think. You just don't care about the this conversation being out there and people knowing. Yeah. You know, um, it's not like you don't care about your family members. <laughs> like, if, <laughs> if what I've said 
makes you think negatively, then you've got something to kind of kind of look into yeah. if if you're yeah. listening going oh my god what is he talking about what is his problem um you've kind of got got your own little thing going on yeah you've got something <laughs> going on there thanks for chatting um i hope there's something before... usable there dan <laughs> mate it's been great it's been really okay. good i think i think people listening to this will kind of tune in to how you've kind of described it you know it goes back to caveman times <laughs> yeah yeah uh right so before you go i've got like five quick fire questions so don't think about them too much just the first answer that kind of comes to your head we'll kind of we'll kind of is, go with it is right that's why it's called the stage right podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah right so what band could phone you up now and say right the gig's tomorrow let's go you can do it you can play the whole show tomorrow is it one is it yeah. one show yeah one show uh any band <laughs> well for my like for instance for example mine would be blink 182 because i grew up listening to i could play all their songs totally fine mm. so who could you play for this is a real i i can't think of any bands uh go on then right. offspring if offspring you, if you're that's gonna a good say, one. if you're gonna say blink i'm gonna say offspring <laughs> that's a good one that's a really good one yeah they're, right. they're the band um, that got me into rock and roll really is it yeah what artist did you have an instant connection with as soon as you heard it you thought right this is for me i'll never forget that moment i was seven years old and i put on my parents jerry Lee lewis cd when they weren't around and uh, great balls of fire came on and i was like oh what is this wow <laughs> yeah. that's a good answer yeah yeah and i was awesome. jumping up and down on the couch and wrecking stuff yeah what's one song you wish you'd written nothing compares to you good tune prince wrote prince. that yeah yeah one song you're proud to be a part of new drowns album whole thing oh really yeah the whole thing yeah yeah, yeah that's good let's do that that's or really like good. any any wonk unit song that i've played on as well i'm really proud of all of the stuff i did on that awesome yeah good answer um and the last one what have you got coming up uh right what, so what's next for simon chicago this weekend then next month is punk rock bowling in vegas and a bunch of tbc dates uh two european tours this year um that are like both two to three week tours uh headlining rebellion festival in august oh, awesome oh just a bunch of it's it's a super busy year and hopefully some more recording we have some more releases lined up the band is non-stop but it's the full-time job now so it's kind of rad yeah awesome mate that's great to hear yeah and yeah. i'm so glad we've had this chat and kind of i mean we've had we've had chats before and kind of cleared the air a bit more but it's so nice to kind of um do it on a podcast <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> sweet nice one man thanks for having me on right here we go the old one take blunder um oh let me get rid of this chewing gum <laughs> you like that uh, <laughs> such a bad idea right that was simon short on the stage fright podcast you can find him online at instagram uh for fuck's sake you can find him online instagram at simon shorts and uh, make sure to check a lot of that and make sure to check out his tread there <laughs> fuck's sake or I'm thinking about it too much now. And make sure to check out his Tattoo Traditions podcast as well. 
If you'd like to help out the show, please sign up to my Patreon where for the price of half a coffee a month, you'll get early, ad-free, higher quality access of the pod, as well as some extra bonus bits and conversations. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm laughing now. Okay. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Parkinson Music. And if you're listening on Patreon right now, sorry about that bit. Uh, email me any thoughts and ideas you might have for the pod at allrightstagefright at gmail.com. And find us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Twitter is all right, I'm Dan, I think. I think I've given it out before. It's all right. Oh, the song's ended. Okay. I think I've given it out before at All Right Stage Fright. But Twitter is at All Right, I'm Dan. And Instagram is the Stage Fright Podcast. It was already taken on Twitter. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. And I'm off around my mum's house to have fish and chips and play some board games. See ya.